our passage of scripture today as we continue in the gospel of John is John chapter 6 verses 1 through 14. John chapter 6 verses 1 through 14. After these things Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee which is the Sea of Tiberias Then a great multitude followed him because they saw the signs which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But he said this to test him. For he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are these, or what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. I had considered preaching on this passage last week as it would have been the next passage rather than going back to John 4. But, and, uh, you know, uh, and it was after you know, John 5, which I obviously preached on la- uh, two weeks ago. But because we were observing the Lord's Supper, and this passage is often... I think too often mistaken as dealing with the Lord's Supper. I'm not saying it's totally apart from the Lord's Supper, but it's not really teaching about the Lord's Supper. It's teaching about Jesus. The Lord's Supper pointed to Christ. This miracle pointed to Christ, but this miracle wasn't pointing at the Lord's Supper. And so because of that, I thought, no, I don't want to preach this because it would maybe confuse and the same is true, even the song we just sang, Break Thou the Bread of Life, Dear Lord to Me. It's talking about this miracle that Jesus had done. It's not talking about the Lord's Supper. And it's also talking about the Word of God as the bread of life going out. And so that's just an interesting uh, sort of aside on this. Uh, when Jesus is teaching here, he's not teaching even through the rest of this chapter 
uh, he's not teaching about the Lord's Supper. John 6.51, he says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. When Jesus died on the cross, he gave his flesh for the life of the world. But uh, unless you're Roman Catholic, everybody does not believe that the Lord's Supper is actually Jesus' flesh. Uh, and so it w- that's the only ones that would think that. Now this miracle, the feeding of the 5,000 that we consider today is, consi- is, is recorded in all four Gospels. It was per- performed before the biggest crowd and for us who are living in 2023, it should inspire great faith. Great faith and the seeking of God's power as we seek to make Jesus known to a lost world. John 6, 1 through 14, Matthew 14, 13 through 21, Mark uh, 6, 31 through 44, and Luke uh, 9, 11 through 17, all tell the account of this feeding of the 5,000. And today we're dealing with John's account And after John's account, what makes his gospel unique or separate from the other ones is after uh, Jesus feeds the 5,000, then eventually we go to Jesus' sermon about being the bread of life. In the other gospels, we don't have that sermon. And so there's that connection that I wish I could deal with today, but I think if I dealt with it today it would be too long of a sermon. It would be, uh, and I could talk about that in the weeks to come. And so today, I want us to consider this passage, the feeding of the 5,000, not so much in the doctrinal way that I'll talk about as Jesus did later, but as practical application for us now as Word of Life Church. And so, Uh, Applying it to us today, uh, the feeding of the 5,000, we see in this passage first that Jesus Christ, God's Son, is not limited by our circumstances. And when I say this, uh, it says here, after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, uh, John 6, verse 1. And after this, if you remember, chapter 5, Jesus had been defending himself against the accusations of the Jews who wanted to kill him. That's what we've been talking about also for several weeks. John 5, 18, it says, Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but he also said that God was his father, making himself equal to God. And so Jesus leaves that place, and as he's leaving, uh, he, did he convince them that he was the Christ? No, they all rejected him. They all wanted to kill him. And so that's how Jesus left before this passage that we're dealing with. About the same time, 
I believe shortly before this miracle, according to Matthew's account, uh, John the Baptist, uh, Jesus' first listed witness in John 5, 31 through 35, had just been beheaded by Herod. You all know the story, or, uh, or if you don't, I'll tell you a quick version. I'm not going to read it, but it's in Matthew 14, 3 to 12. Uh, Herodias' daughter, uh, who was not really Herod's wife, more like his brother's wife that John the Baptist preached against, she danced before Herod, and because of that, Herod was so enthralled that he promised to give her up to half of his kingdom. And her mother, the daughter's mother, Herod's sort of wife, told her daughter, ask for the head of John the Baptist. And that's how he died. John the Baptist was a great man and he was followed. He was the uh, forerunner to Jesus and he was killed in this dreadful way. And so they wanted to kill Jesus John the Baptist had actually been killed, and then they were also joined by John's grieving disciples. So at this point, right before the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus' disciples and Jesus and John's disciples are all together. Uh, And it says in Matthew 14, when Jesus heard it, meaning heard about John the Baptist being killed, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed on foot from the city, cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and he was moved on uh, with compassion for them and he healed their sick. This is the same about the same time you see, John the Baptist's disciples have gathered with them. Uh, here's Jesus. Uh, he's just left Jerusalem where the Jews were going to kill, uh, wanting to kill him. And they want to get uh, alone by themselves. And yet, as they're doing that, this big crowd is following them uh, and wanting to be healed. And he does. He heals them uh, for most of the day. But he, Jesus, and his disciples were not, away, they were not able to get away from the crowds, the needy crowd, their needs must be met. Jesus' apostles, who are also not with him in John 5, uh, where were they during this John 5 period? They had been sent out by Jesus to heal and to preach It says in Luke 9, 1 and 2, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases. He sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. His apostles were also with him when he and John the Baptist's grieving disciples were aiming to get away to a deserted place, but they did not get away. Uh, It says in Luke 9, 10 and 11, and the apostles, when they had returned, told him all that they had, they had done. And he took them and went away privately to a deserted place belonging to a city called Bethsaida. And all this is coming to the same place. But when the multitudes knew it, they followed him. And he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those 
uh, who had been, had need of healing. And so this crowd came after and was following them. And it's after their own preaching and healing and after Jesus' day of preaching and healing, uh, shortly after John the Baptist had been headed, beheaded, when they're all very likely tired and stressed emotionally, uh, it says... In the, in the Luke passage of this, when the day had begun to wear away, the twelve came and said to him, send the multitude away that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provision, provisions for we are in a deserted place here. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fishes we go and buy food for, uh, unless we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. They counted the men. That doesn't mean there weren't also, in addition to 5,000 men, women and children, almost certainly that there was a bigger group than that. Then he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50. And Mark's gospel kind of tells us the same thing. If you read John's gospel, which we did, uh, you realize not only was there, it, it seems like not only there was one group that came earlier in the morning, but because it's the Passover, there's another group that comes shortly uh, before they're about to be fed. And so if you think of this, there's this huge group uh, that's in front of them. A summary of what I just said, just for review. John the Baptist was beheaded and his disciples came to Jesus looking for comfort. Jesus' disciples had just returned from their own preaching and healing. Uh, they were probably looking for a break. Uh, Jesus had been accused of breaking the Sabbath and blasphemy because the Jews did not believe he was the son of God. Uh, and he left Jerusalem with them wanting to kill him. They were aiming to get away to a private place. That's what all four gospels say. But the crowds followed them, wanting to be healed and taught by Jesus. They were being healed and taught by Jesus. And then another group, it seems, even adds to their number. And it was getting late in the day, and the people were likely hungry. And they were far away from places where they could get food. And the point is, they had trying circumstances and no automobiles, and no microwaves, or any kind of electric or gas stoves, or ovens, or dishwashers, no way to get this meal together that we could think of, and that's the point. Even in the worst of these circumstances, Jesus was able to come through. He was able to uh, help them, and I believe that applies even today when we go through hurricanes, when we have death in families, when we have illnesses, when we have relational struggles, when we have people around us who need help, in all these circumstances, the answer is our Lord Jesus Christ. He is still powerful. He is still able to help us even through the worst of circumstances. Corey Ten Boom talks about how God provided for her when she was in a concentration camp in Nazi Germany and enabled her uh, to survive and even to thrive, not physically, obviously, but spiritually, well, she was there. Paul was speaking 
of hell, uh, wealth and poverty when he speaks in Philippians 4, 12 through 13 when he says, I know how to be abased and I know how to, to abound and in all things I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, when Paul wrote that, he was in prison. Also, when he, was, he wrote that, he had just received a very generous, wonderful gift from the Philippians. And so he's not telling them as he's in prison that he's starving or, or, or pining. He's thanking them and he's saying, I'm abounding right now through your gift. It was such a great gift that he's abounding and he's saying he's learned how to do both. He's learned how to suffer want, how to stay strong with God even in the worst of circumstances, and he's learned how to abound, meaning when God blesses him, he thanks God for it. He is strengthened by it. It's, it's not something that makes him proud that all these people wanted to help him. It's something that makes him humble that they come alongside him and he knows how to handle both prosperity and adversity, adversity and prosperity. And that's what he's saying. And we see that Jesus enables to, has to handle whatever circumstance we're in. Sometimes we think it's a lot easier to handle prosperity than it is to handle when we're being crushed. But Jesus is there for us in every circumstance, whether we're tried by difficulties or we're tempted by what might seem to be blessings, but they can lead us away. Jesus enables us to handle all of those things. So the first point of this simple sermon is Jesus, God, is not limited by our circumstance. He can make us victorious victorious in all these things. The second thing is Jesus Christ, God's Son, is not limited by our resources. Here back in John, I spent a lot of time in Matthew because Matthew and Luke, they explained the circumstances of John the Baptist's death. In John, it doesn't talk much about that. But back in John, John 6, 4 through 9, it says, Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them should have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Well, here in the Gospel of John, it seems like an addition of more people in this passage adding to an already big crowd. What I, what I picture, you know, Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke talk about Jesus teaching and healing people all these days, and it was near the Passover, and the Passover would mean there's a crowd of people that are not there so much for Jesus, but they're there to celebrate the Passover, and they hear that Jesus is teaching and preaching and healing. 
not so far away, and they move away from their Passover celebration to where Jesus is healing people and doing all these things, and the crowd, which had already been big, becomes a lot bigger. And here we see a testing, Jesus' testing of Philip's faith. He says to Philip, he says, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? And we know Jesus was testing Philip because in the next verse it says, but this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. How many of us would have thought, hey, <laughs> we don't need it. Jesus can, he can provide it. But Jesus was testing Philip because he wanted Philip to see. To you, you can do it, Lord. Well, what does Philip say? Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient uh, for them. That even one of them may have a little. And 200 denarii was a huge amount of money. And he's saying, if we had that much money, we could not feed all these people if we had that much bread. And so he's, he's thinking, this is uh, uh, nothing. We, what, what can we do? He's not seeing Jesus doing a miracle. And then, then Philip, and, or then it says one of, uh, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Well, that's not a whole lot. Five barley loaves, as big as you might imagine them, are not. I, I could maybe imagine a loaf so big, maybe. Uh, two small fish are, are very likely, in Scripture, when they talk about smart, small fish, it's likely a sardine, <laughs> which is, if you don't know what a sardine is, it's about that big. It's not this big. <laughs> Too small fish. And so they didn't have much. And I think this was generally the case with the whole early church. When we look at scripture, it says, Peter says in Acts 3 uh, to the man who was begging because he was lame, he says, silver and gold I have not, I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Rise up and walk. Now, I can't do that. I don't think we have the apostolic miracles anymore, but we still have the same Jesus. He's still able uh, to enable us to do the things that we need to do. Sadly, even in biblical times, there were churches that were trusting too much in, in their own material wealth and not in Jesus. We read that, you know, I, I just went through the book, uh, book of Revelation just recently. Uh, maybe Revelation 3 was a long time ago. But there's the church of Laodicea. And I have the whole passage there. Revelation 3, 14 through 22 in your notes. But their main problem that I'll deal with right now, it says in verse 17... Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, 
and anoint your eyes with ISAB that you may see. This church thought they had all they needed. They had all these material goods. And the problem with them is they were trusting in these things. They were thinking these things were enabling them to be as much Christians as they needed to be. But they were falling short. They needed more of what they could get from Jesus. When he says, buy uh, gold from me, uh, he's not talking about literal gold. and He's not talking about money. But he's talking about putting their hearts into to him and to prayer and to the things that would bring his power and his riches to his spiritual riches to them. And they were missing that because they were wealthy materially. In the, in the, in, in the Old Testament, David was the one who was in war and he started his own battles with Goliath. And Goliath was a trained soldier, you know, nine feet tall, uh, skilled with uh, armor bearer in front of him and armor all around him. And David came at him as a young teenage boy with a, a slingshot. And as David was older, he wrote Psalm 20 where he says, Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. He was telling them they needed to trust in him and what he was able to do. He was able to provide all they need, even in battle. It didn't mean they didn't need any kind of weapon, but they were not to trust in them. They were not to believe in them. They were to believe in God and his power to change things. And so they were not limited by the resources they had. So much as this was true with David, that when he would conquer another army, uh, instead of taking their horses and their chariots as part of his army, he would hamstring the horses so that he was not adding or making his soldiers believe, hey, we just gained, we're stronger because we have this many more horses. He wanted them to trust in God. So he would hamstring the horses. We are not limited by our resources, even though we might not have a whole lot as a little church we're not limited by the things that we have. And then thirdly, at least as far as doing God's will is concerned, and then thirdly, and maybe this is the biggest one, God is not limited by us. Jesus says here, verse 10, back in John chapter 6, Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000, and Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the, to the disciples, and the disciples to those who were sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up, and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. The main thing I want you to notice here, not just the miracle, which is wonderful, uh, you know, if, you, if you think of it, uh, five barley loaves and two small fishes, and they fed over 5,000 people. And when I said they fed... Who is actually doing the feeding? 
It was Jesus' disciples. They were carrying the food out. Jesus, you could say, was the cook of the miracle, but his disciples were the servers or the waiters, uh, you could say, uh, taking the food to the people. And so he involved his disciples in this miracle. He says, make the people sit down. Well, who's he saying that to? Make the people means he would have his disciples involved in this miracle. They would, they would be the ones that actually tell the people to sit. God uses ordinary, humble people. I've read these passages many times, but in uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 31, it says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many noble, not many, uh, uh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the, the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of this world to put to shame the things that are mighty, and the base things of this world, with, uh, and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring nothing, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence, but of Him you are in Jesus Christ who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. We have this treasure, Paul says, in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Some of you know of Johnny Erickson Tata, uh, she's a woman who, when she was a teenager, uh, jumped off a diving board into an ocean, or in, I, I don't remember if it was a diving board or some kind of pier into an ocean, and, and uh, it wasn't as deep as she thought it was, and she hit her head on the bottom and broke her neck. And after that, she was paralyzed for the rest of her life and could hardly move and learned how to make paintings with her teeth. And very beautiful paintings. And not only that, she became a Christian speaker and told how God can use people beyond their handicaps. And in one of her books that, that I happened to read, she tells the story of a prince who is famous for his sword fighting. And nobody had ever defeated this prince in a sword fight. But the great story was when uh, he was caught by his enemies without a sword. And he had to fight off three men with a candlestick. That's what God does with us. He uses us, even though we think we're weak, even though we don't have everything together, he can use us in those circumstances. John 6, 1 through 14, and some of you have heard this before, uh, was the text for my second sermon it confirmed my call to the ministry. I was not at that time ready to preach. My first sermon, and this is funny because yesterday we did the walk for life and, and I barely could make it around one time. Uh, I could blame some of it on the red tide because they stopped us anyway. Uh, but I know I don't think my legs would have made another time. But back, back at this time, I was 20 years old and I was known as a runner in the whole area because I had been running in high school and was well known as a runner. And my first sermon happened to be on 1 Corinthians 9, 
24 through 27 that talks about running. Those who run in a race run all, but one receives the prize. And because I was a runner, I knew all about running, and I could tell these people uh, I could actually preach a sermon and what about what it meant. So, and I had lots of, I had like a whole month to prepare the sermon, which helped too. You know, preachers don't always have a month, <laughs> but that time I had a month because it was my first sermon. Then, because my sermon was good, they asked me back for the next week. Oh, that was a lot harder. <laughs> I didn't know what I was going to preach on. And, you know, today I have notes, and you all have notes, you have my outline. Well, I was trying to put together some kind of notes all through the week. And it got to be Sunday morning, and it was like 3 or 4 in the morning. And I don't have one word on my notes. And I don't have any clue about what I'm going to preach on. And I go to my pastor's office, my pastor, because I wasn't a pastor at the time. And I'm looking in his books, and I could do that because I was the custodian of the church. I had keys. <laughs> So I'm there looking in his books, and he comes a little later. He, he happened to come to his office early, and he sees me there, and he, he's asking me what's wrong, and he tries to help me with ideas for a sermon. And finally, he tells me, my service was at 9. It started at 9.07, where I was preaching, and his was not till like 11, like ours. And he said he would go with me to preach for me instead of me preaching that day. And all the way we're driving, and it was a little drive to, to Anson, Missouri, where I preach, he's telling me how bad I was, how, how wrong I was to, to be in this circumstance, even though he knew I was young. And I'm admitting it, and humbly admitting it. But right when we drove into the parking lot, for some reason, God gave me the sermon. He said, this is what you're gonna preach. And I knew it, and I told, I told Angus McDonald, who was my pastor, I said, Angus, I'm going to preach. And he's like, he's like what? And I picked this passage, and I told all the people how, about my whole circumstance of trying to get the sermon together and how weak I was. But God can feed you spiritually just like he did in that day and he can use i'm probably preaching it better now but he could but i had more god was spiritually enabling me to do this he was putting the words into my mouth and and, and angus mcdonald is amen 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 and i preached at that sermon at that church for a whole year after that i was their interim pastor and the little church was 50 members, which doesn't maybe not seem little to us here, but they were 50 members, and they were working towards hiring a full-time pastor. And I could say I had my part in that, in that because uh, that year they were able to hire somebody after that year. But I remember during that time, that wasn't the only time I had trouble. It was the only time I came without notes, but I, I always had notes after that. But it wasn't the only time I had trouble. I had met trouble many times. And there, there was about, about a 40-minute drive, 45-minute drive to get to Anson from where I lived. And I remember driving there and thinking, God, if you want to take me, uh, I don't want anybody else to be in the accident, and I don't want to cause the accident myself. But a car accident, I am welcoming. And I was ready to go to heaven rather than preach the sermon. 
And one particular sermon was really, really bad. I just felt really horrible. And when I got to the church, I remember we always, I'd always talked to the lady who played the piano, and I can't think of her name right now, but uh, she would have songs, or I would have songs. We, we didn't necessarily pick, you know, one of us didn't pick them, one or the other would pick them, and we'd get together and decide what we're going to do. Maybe, usually both of us would pick them, but I didn't have any songs ready, and neither should did she. And so we're talking and trying to pick songs right there, right before the service, and we picked the first two songs we were going to sing, but we couldn't pick, pick the, the, the closing song. And so I'm preaching my sermon, and all of it's going better than, than I thought until I get to the end of my sermon when I had a poem that I was going to read. And I couldn't find it. And I had notes like this, except they were handwritten, and I'm, I'm going through, and I'm looking and looking, and people are saying, what are you doing? You know, I could see they could see I really was having trouble. Nowadays, I would just skip it. <laughs> you would never know. But finally, I said, I had a poem I was going to read to close my sermon. And we also have a song that we're going to sing to close, but I don't know what it is. I need to ask this person. And so I asked her, and as she started playing, well, before she plays it, she says, hey, I've never played this before, but I just felt it would be appropriate for now. And so we start singing this song that we had never sang before, the church had never sang before, and the song included these words, which were my poem. And I'll read them, they're on, the, they're on your notes. In scenes exalted or depressed, you are our joy and our rest. Your goodness all our hopes shall raise, adored through all our changing days. That was the poem that I had. It was part of a hymn, and I didn't even know that, uh, written by Philip Dodderich, and that hymn that she picked that day. And what God told me that day was God can come through, even when we fall, even when we fail, even when we don't have our act together. He knows what he's doing. He's able to use us, whether we lack resources, whether we lack... Uh, a circumstance when our circumstances are hard and even when the lacking is our own. Moses writes, or we read in Exodus 4, 10 through 12 of Moses, he wrote this about himself, I'm pretty sure, uh, wrote Exodus 4, 10 through 12. It says, Then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since. You have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth, or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach you what you shall say. Now if, you, if you've read that passage, you know that Moses argues a little more with the Lord. It's not an automatic thing, and eventually Moses has Aaron uh, to come with him. But God enabled Moses, a man who was not eloquent, and I, I would often relate to that because I didn't feel like preaching at all uh, when I first started. And he used him to do great things. And God can use each one of us to do his will, whatever he calls us to. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you 
for this passage, this miracle passage that we see in John chapter 6 of the feeding of the 5,000. And Jesus did this at a time that was hard for him, hard for his disciples, hard for John's disciples who had joined them, joined up with him after their leader had, had been killed in a violent and horrible way. And Father, you were able to work in all our circumstances. Father, they had little resources, five loaves and two fishes, not a whole lot of stuff, but you used them anyway. You empowered them to do your will. And Father, they were ordinary fishermen uh, and you used them. They did not do the miracle. You did it, but you used them to feed these people. And Father, you use us as well to do whatever your will is with each one of us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hymn of response.